0: good morning morning. morning. it's good to see you all here this morning i appreciate your presence and i look forward to spending the next few minutes sharing with you a lesson that i've pulled from the word of god a few years ago i had a revelation it occurred to me as i was pulling a chair from its traditional place in our family room to the middle of the family room in front of the television set so i could play a video game with my sons i realized that over time that seat had crept from where it was meant to be gradually to a point about four feet in front of the television set. Clearly the picture on the television set was not what it used to be and I was having to move closer and closer to it to get a clear picture. So what did I do? Well I did what anybody would do. I went out and bought a bigger TV set with higher resolution. (laughs) Obviously it was a problem with the television. A little while later, I began to notice that street signs and billboards and menus were getting a little blurry too. Strangely enough, I couldn't find a menu in a higher resolution. It had to be something wrong with me. So I went to my eye doctor and he said, yes, it is something wrong with you. It turned out that after 20 years of reading fine print text from reports and, and looking at a, at a screen on my computer, that my eyes had been trained to see very well from about here to about here. And everywhere else the eyes had just essentially said forget it you're on your own. The the lesson here is an important one because I had trained my eyes for a very specific task in a very confined space and in that space I was good. When I moved beyond that space I suddenly became challenged and my world became more blurry. Now, my eye doctor's response to that was, eels, you need bifocals. And my response was, bifocals? I'm young. But it turned out that that was pretty much what I needed. It helped me see the world with greater clarity. A problem with that was that there's a line, for those of you who are not familiar with bifocals, there's a line down the middle of the glass. And everything above here is for distance, and everything below here is for close up. So what you find yourself doing is the bifocal nod. You find the zone and then you do one of these things to see where you really ought to be. A little while later, my eye doctor got funny and gave me something called progressive lenses, which doesn't have a line down the middle, it just kind of goes from distance to near in, across the lens. So what you end up doing in that situation is not doing this, it's doing this. The objective of the up and down bob for bifocals and the progressive shuffle is finding what is called the sweet spot on the lens. It is that magic point at which the object you're looking at comes into perfect focus and clarity. Now, this entire story that I have told you this morning, there are a couple of spiritual lessons we can draw from that. And I'd like to spend the next few minutes talking to you about spiritual sweet spot. Finding and keeping the spiritual sweet spot. The first lesson I'd like for you to take away from this story is how focusing narrowly on worldly things or achievements, our money, our power, our success, can cause us to lose our spiritual depth perception. It is almost like we are training our eyes to focus on something to the exclusion of the things around it. And if the thing we're focusing on is not our God, We run the risk that we blur our perception of who our God is and where we are in relation to our God. And that's a critically important thing. Jesus understood that we truly focus on only one thing at a time. He observed in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The idea is that you can focus on one thing at a time. You may be able to multitask. You may be very talented along those lines, but even with multitasking, you can only think and focus on one thing at the moment. People choose where their focus will be moment to moment, day by day, and through a lifetime. And through that process of choice, they are exercising their spirit in what is important, They are setting the priorities so that they focus immediately on some things very well and not so well on others. That some things have a clarity and other things are blurry. There's a... If you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. I'm going to be reading verses 16 through 21. This is the story of somebody who clearly had lost their sense of focus. Luke's 12 take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. The man was not rich toward God. In this sense, it means that he lost his focus. He did not even consider... Why, where he had gotten his riches, the benefits that he had received, or what that meant in the way of his obligations. He, just, he was obliv- either oblivious to it or had ignored it entirely. In some ways, an even sadder story can be found in Mark chapter 10 in the story of the rich young ruler. Do you remember that story? A young man comes to Jesus and said, you know, what do I need to do to inherit salvation? And Jesus outlines the basics of, of the Ten Commandments, and the young man says, I've done all that from my youth. And Jesus, in Mark, actually says, Jesus loves this man. And there's something in that. Jesus clearly sees that he's sincere and he cares. And that, in point of fact, he is looking for salvation. Jesus turns to him and says, One thing you lack, go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell he went away sad because he had great wealth jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of god unlike the rich man in the parable this is an individual who is actually seeking something and when confronted with a choice makes a decision for what they have in the present as opposed to pursuing what they are offered for their future in either case there is there is a lack of clarity in the relationship to God. And it's important for us to remember that when we practice and make those decisions on a daily basis, that what we are doing is exercising our minds and our spirits for a clarity in something. It's a question of whether or not God is that something. The second lesson is how easy it is to miss or explain away changes in our spiritual focus that make it hard for us to see our God clearly. Over several months I'd marched that chair across the room until I had it just really close to the television set. Even after I realized that something was wrong, I was prepared to blame it on the television set because obviously it wasn't me. The best example I can think of in the Bible that that applies to this example, or excuse me, to this story, are the scribes and the Pharisees. They're scholars of Scripture. They study the letter of the law. They seek to interpret it and to convey to others what the, the Scripture means to them, how the Scripture should apply to their lives. Now, seeking to understand God's Word and His intentions for us through that Word would seem like a noble and appropriate thing to do. However, over time, their absolute focus on the wording of the law had crowded out their ability to recognize God's intent through that law. They became hypocrites because they honored the form rather than the substance turn with me to to Matthew chapter 9 I'm going to be reading verses 10 through 13 Matthew 9 10 through 13 Jesus in this verse in this series of verses challenges the Pharisees for that basic failure The Pharisees were so fixated on on who he was dealing with and who he ought to be dealing with according to their perception of the word that they missed the entire point of why he had come in the first place, why he had engaged the people he had engaged, and what he was hoping to seek or hoping to accomplish through that engagement. In Matthew 23, Jesus uses some of the harshest language we see him use with anybody in the Bible when he talks about the scribes and Pharisees. In verse 14 of chapter 23, Then Jesus said to the crowd and his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And again in verse 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. These people had become so fixated and so focused that they had perfect clarity on what the word of the law was and had neglected its intent, what God's greater purpose was for that law, and as a result, had begun to lose sight of it entirely. They just couldn't see it. How do the scribes and Pharisees respond to this? Do they appreciate the miracles that Jesus is doing? Do they see the wisdom in the words that he offers? No. They They do a spiritual version of buying a TV set. Take a look at Mark chapter 3. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 6. Mark chapter 3, 1 through 6. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Rather than recognizing the tragic flaw in their, in their ability to see their God and serve their God, and to see how their perception and, and, and their understanding had separated them from their God, they tested, plotted against, and ultimately killed the Messiah who had told them what they were doing wrong and how to reestablish a clear relationship with their God. The third lesson I'd have you draw from, from my story earlier is that it is important for us to keep God in our spiritual sweet spot. Remember how I talked about the bob and the weave, to to find just that perfect place where you have that clarity? Well, another, another term, another word for that practice is respect. Today we tend to use the word to represent a thing we have or give. The Latin word respectus was a verb that literally meant to look back. And in point of fact, if you look at the Greek and the Hebrew words that respect are drawn, is drawn from, they too have a concept of action to refocus, re look, respect. You actively change the center of your attention. David understood the need for respect, he was a man after God's own heart, but he made mistakes and he sinned. In those times when he was confused and uncertain, in those times when he felt he was drifting away, he turned to God for clarity and and received it. Psalms chapter 40, verses 11 through through 13, he writes, Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me, for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. There are more than the hairs on my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord, qu- quickly, Lord, to help me. It is his understanding that when the relationship with his God becomes fuzzy and he starts to do things that he knows and understands are not in line with what his God would have him do, that he stops and he turns to his God in prayer, in song, and says, where do I need to be? It's a question of remembering who his God is and that his God is worthy of his trust and that his God has the power to save and that he can draw strength from that power and accomplish great things in God's name if he just remembers to stop and remember where he is in relation to his God when he finds that spiritual sweet spot. Another man who understood the necessity of the spiritual sweet spot is a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a a short man And he wanted to see Jesus. And he knew the only way he would be able to do that would be to go and climb a tree to see if he could spot Jesus above the crowd. Jesus enters Jericho. And as he's passing along, he looks up in the tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay in your house today. So he came down and at once welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus's need to see his his Savior His understanding that clarity required not just a mental process but a physical action to make it happen yielded to him a result that he never could have anticipated. Not only did he create an eye contact with his Lord, but Jesus goes home and has a meal with him. And at the end of that story, Jesus turns and says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus is the, ben- is the beneficiary of having done what he had to do to maintain that focus on his God, to see the one that would mean his salvation, who had the power to rescue him from who he was. And that's why it is important for us today, not just to think about it in terms of, okay, what do I need to do, but to remember that there is action associated with that. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to become complacent and satisfied with a slightly blurry version of my God. Whether it's because I'm not paying attention or because I'm willfully making decisions about my priorities that don't put God first, I sometimes fail to show him the respect, to respect him, and to seek out the sweet spot in the way that I should, consistently. That's not what God wants for me. It's not what God wants for you. Our God wants us to look to him, but to do so in a way that does justice to who he is, our creator, our keeper, the one who loves us, the one who shows mercy and grace to us, the one who sacrificed his son on our behalf that we might spend eternity with him. That is the God who wants to engage us and wants us to have a clear sense of who he is and to maintain a sense of our relationship, a perspective on where we are in relation to our God. that requires us to constantly be seeking the spiritual sweet spot. Only by doing that can we keep the type of focus, perspective, and clarity that God wants from us and for us. My father had terrible eyesight from the time that he was very very small. And he he told me that growing up, he thought the entire world was just a blurry place. Then he put on his first pair of glasses and was amazed as he discovered how the world was always meant to look. It seems to me that discovering the good news and responding to the call through repentance and baptism provides a similarly amazing experience and a first moment of spiritual clarity similar to what he had physically. In that moment, we see and acknowledge the true scope of God's love and mercy and our need for the grace we have received through the sacrifice of his son. If you've not put on Christ in baptism, then you're living in a fuzzy world and it's time to start finding that spiritual sweet spot. It's the source of your salvation. It is critical that you see it clearly. We invite you to do that and be amazed by the life that God wants for you to suddenly see the realm of the possible, not just for today, but for eternity. For those of us who have been baptized, the challenge is not not to become complacent not to be self-satisfied with the vision of the God that we think we know, not to be the Pharisees and establish ourselves in one path and not broaden our understanding of who our God is and what he wants for us. It's vital that we maintain a clear vision of where we are in relation to our God or we risk following the Pharisees' path. Maybe you've become distracted or the picture has gotten a little fuzzy. If so, we can help you to recover that spiritual sweet spot. Whatever your need may be, won't you come as we stand and sing?